right, welcome Lake Point family. And uh, hey, if you got your Bibles, head over to Daniel chapter one. That's gonna be this week, uh, Daniel chapter one. And uh, we are starting today a series that I'm just a smidge excited about. I've been studying for this series for about five months. And I'll be uh, really honest, it's been, I think, a few years before I was as, as excited about a series um, as this one. Uh, and before I introduce what the series is and where we are going, um, let me lead into it like this. Um, I heard a story about a, uh, a couple that uh, had been married, lived out on a farm, been married for 50 years, and in their entire marriage, they had never had a fight, like not even one, no fights, 50 years. And uh, finally some, uh, you know, some dude my age caught up to the, the guy and he's like, hey man, like what's the secret? Like how, you know, how'd you pull this off? And he said, well, you know, he explained that the day that he and his wife got married, as they were leaving the church on their horses to go to the honeymoon, horses way back when, 50 years ago, and uh, as they were leaving, um, the, the, his wife's horse um, wouldn't move. And so um, she got frustrated, wouldn't move. She got off the horse, walked around to the front, looked right in the eyes and gave it a warning. She said, that's one. And she got back on. And uh, sure enough, horse started uh, moving again. And so they went on a little farther. Horse stopped a second time. And uh, immediately she got frustrated, got off, walked around to the front, <clears throat> looked right in the eyes, gave it a stern warning. She said, that's two. And, uh, and she, you know, got back on. Horse started moving again. Well, eventually the horse stopped a third time. And uh, without even thinking, she got off, got out a revolver, put it right between the horse's eyes and shot it dead. And the husband was like, babe, like, what are you doing? You can't just shoot a horse. And she looked at him and she said, babe, that's one. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I love that. I don't know why I love that story. Now, <clears throat> so warning, warning. Now, this series is a warning. This series is a warning and it is a roadmap. Um, the title of the series is Thriving in Babylon, How Godly People Can Thrive in a Godless World. And I just need you to know, what, what we're doing during this series is we're preaching through the book of Daniel, chapter by chapter by chapter. And the book of Daniel, it's really, it's like a roadmap for how godly people can thrive in a godless culture. Now, just quick heads up. Um, because of the nature of the series and, you know, kind of that theme, thriving in a godless culture, we've got to talk about during this series in a very straightforward way a lot of the issues that are confusing, difficult, uh, sometimes hard uh, for Christians trying to navigate in our culture. And so during this series, we'll talk about things like, man, LGBT issues, how do we handle race, racial reconciliation, critical race theory, what do we do with the hyper-politicization of everything that's happening? And I just need, need to give a quick heads up. Um, every time, without fail, that we mention anything like that um, from our stage, our pulpit, I always get messages about, man, why do you have to talk about that stuff in services? And I'm gonna say the same thing I've been saying for probably 10, 15 years of my ministry. Guys, if the church won't disciple people, the world sure will. And so we've got to be people who just, man, we just open our Bible. We just open our Bible and we look at it. And so because we're gonna be talking about those kinds of things, I've got my handy dandy, get it right here. Can you see it? The preaching helmet. I got the preaching helmet. I'm gonna have it probably every week in the series uh, because of, uh, of what we're doing. And the reason I got this, if you're new to Lake Point, you've never seen it before, because there are some things that when a pastor preaches them, like the grace of God and you know, forgiveness, the power of the Spirit, when you preach them, you get applauded like a hero. And then there's other things that when you preach them, you get pounded like a nail. This is one of those. So I'm gonna have this with me, and I just want us all to start before I say anything in this message. I want us all to start getting our spirits in the same place. So at all of our campuses, if you could do this, if you could repeat this after me, almost like as a confession, like, man, 
We're in this thing together. Okay, repeat this after me out loud. I would rather my pastor tell me what's true than tell me what I want to hear. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, we're going to do that. Okay, now, so what we're doing in this series is preaching chapter by chapter through the book of Daniel. Uh, thriving in Babylon, how godly people can thrive in a godless culture. Now, what you got to know is here, here's why we're doing Daniel. The book of Daniel starts with uh, Daniel. At the beginning of this book, he's probably between 13 and 15 years old. That's what most Bible scholars say. And I want you to think about this. Because of the disobedience of Israel, Daniel's nation, Israel, that he had grown up in, that he had been raised in, whose values had been imparted to him, because of the disobedience of Israel, God allowed Israel to be defeated by a godless pagan empire called Babylon. So I want you to imagine this. This 13, 15-year-old kid grows up in a godly culture with godly parents and godly values and godly systems, godly behavior, being taught godly things. And then seemingly overnight, Daniel is transferred. We actually, we would think today, we would classify Daniel as a prisoner of war. We would actually classify Daniel as a victim of human trafficking. At the age of 13 years old, Daniel is captured by this foreign nation, taken from his family, and forced to walk 700 miles to Babylon in modern-day Iraq. So think about this. Daniel, seemingly overnight, goes from godly nation, godly people, godly values, godly beliefs, godly behaviors... And then he wakes up one day and finds himself in a godless nation with godless values, being taught godless things in a godless culture, away in this new godless family. Now you may hear that, and you may go, okay, Josh, cool, great. That was 600 BC, that's like almost 3,000 years ago. What does that have to do with me at all, okay? Now, all right, let me get in. I'm getting ready to talk about demons for a second. Don't freak out on me. Demons are in the Bible, so Bible people need to believe in them. Okay, so let me just kind of explain something really quick. This is really interesting, okay? The Empire of Babylon was conquered, like I said, somewhere around 600, 500 BC. Gone, never to appear again. For some reason, though, for you Bible scholars, let me pull on this little thread that you may never have noticed before in the Bible. For some reason, even though the empire of Babylon was conquered thousands of years ago, fast forward to the New Testament, and people keep talking about something called Babylon. So, for instance, at the end of uh, 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5.13, Peter says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, as does Mark, uh, my son. So even though the empire of Babylon is gone... Peter's still talking about something that's out there that's Babylon. What is that? Now, let me give you one other one. Um, Let me me read a verse from the book of Revelation. Really quick, anytime I read from Revelation, I need to give a quick disclaimer. If you are like me, maybe you were saved in high school and college, and uh, you started reading the Bible, and you're like, man, you're reading the Gospels, and you're like, oh, man, like, Jesus is awesome. This is powerful. This is amazing. This is mind-blowing. And then you kept reading a little farther, you get to the epistles, and you're like, oh, this is so wise, this doctrine's amazing, you know, all this, it just set my heart on fire. And then you got to the book of Revelation, and you started reading about things like Jesus looking like metal and seven-headed dragons eating babies, and you were like, I didn't know they dropped acid in ancient Rome. I had no idea, you know, what in the world is going on. Well, here, here's what the book of Revelation is. Watch this. The book of Revelation is not all revelation about the future, is primarily revelation about what's going, been going on behind the scenes throughout human history. So you experience all of your life in the natural, what you can see, taste, touch, feel. 
But guys, there's a whole other realm, the Bible says, an unseen realm that's happening all the time that's affecting what's happening in the natural realm. That's in the spiritual realm. Okay, And this, what Revelation does, is it pulls back the curtain and it uses allegories, metaphors, names, that kind of thing for all the things that are happening in the spiritual realm that are effect, affecting what's happening in the natural realm. So listen, there, there's an anchor concept that you need to get as a believer in Jesus. Guys, listen, the Bible is not an old book. It's a timeless book. That means it doesn't just teach us what happened it teaches us what always happens. Now, what Revelation does in this, in this passage, I want you to see this. There are actually three chapters in the book of Revelation that all talk about Jesus returning and conquering some entity that re- the book of Revelation calls Babylon. I'm going to read you one verse, Revelation 14:8, And another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now, I mean, land the plane on this concept. Do you remember right before Jesus went to the cross, he turned to Peter and he said, get thee behind me, Satan. And when Jesus said that, he wasn't addressing the person. He was addressing the spirit in the person. When the book of, when the book of Revelation talks about Babylon being over all the nations, it's not addressing the nations. It's addressing a demonic spirit that is at work over and through all the nations. That's what Revelation is doing. So watch this. There was a nation called Babylon, and then the book of Revelation says there's a demonic spirit named Babylon that's at work in all the nations. Now, here's what that means for you. If that's not weird enough, let me just kind of lean in, okay? Here's what that means. Followers of Jesus in this world, guys, no matter what country, what culture, what era we're in, listen to me. We are never at home in Israel in this world. You are always in exile in Babylon. That's always where you are. Now, right now, some of you are like, man, this series is rough. <laughs> this is a rough series, man. It's a lot of bad news, okay? Well, let me, here's, here's the good news. The book of Daniel, it tells this story about a godly person who doesn't just endure being in this godless culture. He influences the godless place in which he found himself. Daniel, in the chapters of the book, as you're gonna see in the next few weeks, in 70 years, Daniel goes from being a 13-year-old victim of human trafficking to becoming the second most powerful man in the most powerful empire in the world. He didn't just endure it, he influenced it. He didn't just survive, he thrived. And this book was given to us by God to be a handbook for the people of God throughout every nation, every culture, throughout history, so that God would go, hey, 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 Here's when you find yourself in a culture that shifted underneath your feet and it feels like you used to be in a culture that was a godly culture, godly values, godly teaching, godly things, godly families, and now it feels godless culture, godless family, godless values, all this stuff. When you find yourself in that spot, God's going, here's the handbook for how not just to endure it, but to influence it. Not how not just to survive, but to thrive. So that's what we're gonna be doing during this series. Uh, Does that sound fun? Sounds fun to me. I'm, I'm, fun for you or not, I'm going to have fun doing it. So here we go. Pick up with me in Daniel 1.1. Here we go. I'm just gonna, we're going to read a little and talk a little. Let me explain a little bit. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, you just got to say those names fast and confident, okay? <laughs> Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Ju- Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Now really quick, 
Jehoiakim was an absolutely terrible king that reigned over Israel. He was an absolutely terrible king. Um, Jehoiakim, there are three categories of people. So Jehoiakim, terrible king that lived a godless life, but he was over a godly nation. And this is what all disobedient people always do. Disobedient people vote false prophets into power who will tell them what they want to hear. That, that's what happened in Israel. They became a disobedient nation, and they were like, we love this Jehoiakim dude because he's leading us where we want to go, telling us what we want to hear. Jehoiakim actually, uh, he took a scroll of God's word at one point and just cut it off line by line and burned it in front of the prophets. So Jehoiakim... And his approval ratings were high. Loved by men, but despised by God. And there are three categories of people throughout the book of Daniel. There are the people of Babylon, the people of God, and then the people of God who live Babylonian. Those are the people who are confusing. And to be very straightforward, there are some of you who will hear this message right now where that's where you are. Right now, you are a person of God but you're living Babylonian. I love Jesus, but I live with my girlfriend. And this passage shows us, man, God sifts. Here are the three categories and makes them really clear for us, okay? So keep going with me. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now, the reason he did this, in this ancient culture, when a nation defeated a nation, it wasn't just an army beating an army. They viewed it as if our gods beat your God. So they took all the stuff from Israel, from the one true God, and put it in his treasury. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch. Okay, now this is a really interesting, fun, fun little fact here. The Hebrew word translated eunuch is where we get the English word for unicorn. That's not true. I just made that up. That's fun. little. <laughs> That's good. Let's keep going. To bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. Now, verse 4, Jana says, this is a verse about me. Youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom. Endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning. Competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were, watch this, to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So, so Babylon takes these four dudes, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Fix those names in your heads as weird as they are because those are gonna be important for the next few weeks. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The sharpest of the sharp. Unblend, good looking dudes, really smart, socially adept, high EQ, high IQ, good dudes. Brings them into Babylon, puts them in a Babylonian school, and watch this. The purpose of the school, listen, was not just to educate Daniel about Babylon. The goal of the school was to make Daniel Babylonian. It was a social engineering project. Its entire goal was reverse evangelism. We're going to take away everything that's distinct about you as the person of God, and we're going to instill our values, our systems, our beliefs, our structures, our ideologies into you. It was a three-year school. In our nation, it's four years, and we pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for our kids to go there. Now, that's what they did. We're going to reverse evangelize you and make you Babylonian. Now, you can see this if you look in verse 6. It says they gave all these, these guys, these four guys, new names. So I, I love this so much. Okay, So for instance, 
their old names, their Hebrew names, were names that located their identity in relationship to the one true God. Their Babylonian names were names that repositioned their identities in relation to Babylonian gods, gave them Babylonian religious identities. So for instance, the name Daniel means Yahweh is my judge. He was given the name Belteshazzar, which means treasurer of Baal or Marduk that was a Babylonian god. Um, The name Hananiah means Yahweh shows grace. He was given the name Shadrach, which means under the command of Aku, which was a moon god of Babylon. Mishael means who is like Yahweh. He was given the name Meshach, which means who is like Aku, same Babylonian god. And then poor Azariah really got the short end of the stick. Azariah's uh, Hebrew name was Yahweh is my helper. He was given the Babylonian name Abednego. If you're looking for baby names, Abednego is available and rare. Abednego, and that was a, which means servant of new, a Babylonian God. Now, I love this so much. I'm actually skipping ahead in the sermon, but it's because this was like my favorite thing I learned in the five months of studying for this, uh, this series. Okay, I love this so much. This cultural engineering project failed utterly with these four dudes. They hung on to their distinctiveness as the people of God, and they did not compromise their faith. Do you know how we know that? Because throughout the book of Daniel, Daniel never refers to himself by his Babylonian name, not even one time. But two, this is so awesome. This is like super punk rock. So throughout Daniel, in this book, the writer of Daniel constantly misspells all the Babylonian names. Now, for a long time, Bible scholars thought, oh, it's like a scribal error. Like 800 years ago, some scribe misspelled it while he was transliterating, and then all the other scribes copied and pasted his mistake. But then we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, all these scrolls from thousands and thousands of years ago, and all those misspellings they realized had been in there from the beginning. So what happened was that Daniel, when he sat down to write Daniel, he was like, screw, I can't say that. Forget these Babylonian names, you know? He was like, forget all these names. Just Babylonian words flowing out of my... He's like, forget all these names, man. He's like, man, I, he was like, what's that name? Was it Barnaby, Barnabas, Bilbo, back? I can't even remember. He's like, that name's so, you know, I don't even care at all. So it just, it didn't take, the indoctrination program failed. Now watch this, watch this, okay? This sermon is one half of a two-part sermon. This week is about Babylon's strategy to influence Daniel. Next week is Daniel's strategy to influence Babylon. So you need to be, don't you dare miss next week. This is one part of a two-part message. Now, what I want to do, the reason this cultural engineering program failed is because Daniel saw what they were trying to do. He he was aware of the strategy of Babylon. So what I want to do is you need to be aware of the strategy of the spirit of Babylon. You need to be aware of that. And I just want to show you, it's the same in every culture, in every nation, and the, the Bible tells us exactly what it is. So I'm gonna run through these really quick, these four strategies that the world uses to indoctrinate you to erase your distinctiveness as the people of God, okay? You need to, as I go through these very briefly, you need to do a self-evaluation, which one of these is at work in my life right now? Okay, so we gotta go really quick. Okay, number one, School of Babylon strategy number one is separation. The first thing they did is separate these young men and get them 700 miles away from the people who believed their faith and and followed their God. The reason they did that, this is really obvious. Guys, we all work the same. They did that because everybody, you walk like 
who you walk with. So if I want to program you to live a new way, I've got to get you away from your old people. This is how everybody works. This is why you do really stupid things when you're with other stupid people or alone. This is why we say things like, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Newsflash, chlamydia does not stay in Vegas. It is not. Now listen. <laughs> By the way, I thought of that on Monday, and I've been so excited to say that. That's the first time I ever said chlamydia in a sermon. Okay? <clears throat> so the Spirit of God is always working for the unification of God's people. The Spirit of Babylon is always working for the separation of God's people, the isolation of God's people. And let me just say this, something that, you know, I'm 38 years old. Let me talk to my generation and down. Something that I've seen over and over and over as a pastor, you know, in, I guess now, 16 years of ministry, is here's what happens. Is there's a high schooler that, like, man, when they were in high school, they were radically saved. They were deeply converted. They were in love with the things of God and loved the Word of God. And then they go to college, to Babylonian school, and they get there, and then all of a sudden, it's like, man... You know, they're waking up at the crack of lunch on Sunday and, uh, you know, they're catching the early service at Bedside Baptist. And it's like, man, they used to be like, man, couldn't wait to get to the house of God to open the word of God and, and worship in the spirit of God. And then they, you know, they kind of get to college and it's like, hey, have you connected to a church yet? Ah, still looking. Six or eight months in. Oh, you know, actually, yeah. You know, I visited one a few weeks ago and kind of sleep. And then it is very gradually, very, very gradually, you started visiting the first few weeks and then it kind of tails off and then all of a sudden, one day you wake up on a, a weekend and you actually woke up in time to gather for worship. And you kind of had this thing and you're like, man, what am I gonna do? You know, it's like 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. on a Sunday and, and what you do instead is you text your friends and it's like where three years ago you would have been like, I can't wait to worship. That morning you wake up and it's like, hey, anybody wanna get brunch and mimosas? And very gradually, you drifted from the people of faith. And here's what always happens. People always drift from people of faith before they drift from their faith. That always happens. School of Babylon, strategy number one, separation. Strategy number two, I try to get all of them to end with shun, like separation. I couldn't on the second one. So just track with me, give me grace. Second one, I'm gonna need this in the next three minutes, okay? Second one. School of Babylon strategy is the replacement of the family, the replacement or the dismantling of the family. They took Daniel away from his family. Why? Because if I want to deconstruct the faith that you have, I need to dismantle the family that transferred that faith to you. That's what the world always tries to do. And the spirit of Babylon in the Bible always attacks two things. In the book of Revelation, that spirit is called, watch this, quote, one, the mother of prostitutes, and two, who makes war against the offspring of the people of God. So the spirit of Babylon always attacks two things. Okay, number one, it always attacks healthy human sexuality. It always attacks, quote, and God made them male and female. It always attacks that in every nation. Um, think about this. In verse 3, we're told that Daniel, watch this, is put under Ashpenaz, who is, quote, the chief eunuch. Put on your thinking caps for a second. If Daniel is put under the leadership of the chief eunuch, what do you think was the first thing that happened to Daniel when he got to Babylon? Gender reassignment surgery. That was the first thing that happened to Daniel. And this spirit always attacks that. It always attacks, and God made them male and female. People start saying things like, oh man, like gender's not binary. 
It's not male and female, X chromosomes, Y chromosomes. That's not how it is. It's more like a spectrum. Well, guys, behind the spectrum is a spirit, the spirit of Babylon. It always attacks healthy human sexuality. But number two, it always seeks to kill children. Now, this may sound weird to you. This is, Bible scholars have noted this for centuries. Okay, so think about this. Uh, think, so in the Old Testament, there was a pagan god named Moloch. Guess how you worshiped Moloch? By sacrificing your newborn infant as a burned offering alive on his altar. Okay, now fast forward to the, uh, to the Egyptian empire. When Moses is born, how did the unholy, there's the Holy Spirit and unholy spirits. There's the Holy Spirit and Satan and demons. How did the unholy spirits move Pharaoh uh, whenever Moses was born? The edict went out to slaughter all the children of the people of God. Fast forward to the book of Matthew. Jesus is born, another move of the spirit. How do the unholy spirits work? Guess what Herod's edict is? An edict goes out again to slaughter all the children under a certain age of the people of God in a certain region. Fast forward to the book of Revelation, and what does the spirit of Babylon do there? It, quote, makes war against the offspring of the people of God, and let me connect the dots. Here in our nation, we call it the American abortion industry. It's the same, it's the same thing. Now, you may hear all that, and you may go, oh, man, you may, seriously, you may go, oh, like, what a coincidence. In all these different cultures, all these different nations, the same thing happens. No coincidence. Different nations, same spirit. Spirit of Babylon. And in our culture, what we're seeing right now is we're seeing the failure of men. I'm gonna speak to you right now in a very straightforward way. We're seeing the failure of men. Do you guys know what creates radical, bitter, angry women? Bad men. Seriously, that's what creates that. In our culture, we're seeing the failure of men. And in our culture, we're responding by trying to get the government to do what dad was supposed to do. So increasingly in our culture, it's the government's going, hey, we'll protect you, we'll provide for you, we'll educate you, we'll indoctrinate you, we'll tell you what to think, we'll tell you what to believe. And guys, what kids need is less government and more dads. Less government and more dads. And so because of that, God, that, that is why we do things like Lake Point Men's Night that's coming up this coming weekend. Like we're investing massive amounts of resources, pulling out all the stops to make sure like we invest in men to raise godly, Jesus-y, gentle, loving men who use the strength and gifts that God has given them to lift up, care for, protect, and get to Jesus, the people that God puts in their path. And so listen, like right now, I'm asking you like right now, maybe the most, most helpful thing you can do is right now stop listening to me for 15 seconds and text the word events to the number 20411 to register for the Lake Point Men's Night coming up this week, this coming weekend. We need every Lake Point dude avail to be there because we need, everybody right now here, everybody's going, hey, fix the system, fix the system, fix the system, fix the system. That is a good, healthy conversation that we need to have. You know what would be even better? Fix the fathers. Fix the fathers. And so we wanna do that, okay? So here we go. So number one, separation. Number two, replace the family. Number three, indoctrination. Verse five says that they were to be educated for three years. But it wasn't education, it was indoctrination. And this is what always happens. The spirit of God teaches doctrine from the word. The spirit of Babylon indoctrinates with the world. That's how it always works. Romans 12, two says this. It, 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 Paul like pleads with Christians. And I think probably especially younger Christians. Paul's going, hey, don't, don't, please don't. 
don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. And in Romans 12 too, when it says, don't be conformed to the pattern, the Greek word there, it's the image of a mold that somebody would like press clay into. And Paul's saying, hey, everything in this world is trying to press you into a mold. Media, entertainment system, mainstream media, Hollywood, social media, ideology, hashtag, everything is trying to press you into the secular mold of what this godless culture wants you to be. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So indoctrination is what Babylon always wants to do to eradicate your faith and your distinctiveness as a person of God. Now, here's how Babylon does this. Very briefly, I gotta run through these. It does this primarily, I'm gonna give three examples, through choice architecture, repetition for reinforcement and packaging. Choice architecture is when somebody manipulates the way that options are presented so that they force someone to a desired outcome. So for instance, have you ever heard somebody say something like this? Hey, are you pro-choice or do you oppose women's rights? Which one of those are you, okay? Or something like, hey, are you affirming or do you practice hate? Which one of those, okay? Uh, Or hey, do you support socialism or are you a racist? Which one of those are you? Hey, do you support biological men competing in women's sports or are you one of those nasty people that upholds toxic masculinity and patriarchy? Now think about this. Here's what those are. False categories designed to manipulate you to a desired choice. For instance, you can be for women's rights and against abortion. You can oppose a platform of socialism and oppose and hate racism. But watch this, if you accept the world's categories, you will always come to the world's conclusions. And if you think as the world thinks, you'll end up living as the world lives. Choice architecture. Number two, repetition for reinforcement. Joseph Goebbels, who was the chief minister of propaganda in the Nazi regime during World War II, he had an axiom. What he said was, repeat a lie often enough and it will become the truth. It creates the illusion of truth. Now, in our culture, we don't repeat lies often enough by, like, dropping propaganda from bombers on, on you know, papers in cities. That's what they did in the 1940s. We do it really different. We do it with hashtags. We do it with, like, causes that everybody gets caught up in, and you have to accept all the premises that come with the cause. So, for instance, you think about this. Just pause for a second and think with me for a second. If every second of every day you are bombarded with hashtags, phrases like you do you, love is love, follow your heart, good vibes only, do what makes you happy, stand on the right side of history. And guys, think about that. It sounds innocuous. It's like, oh yeah, of course, that sounds good. Sounds good to me. Every single one of those phrases has its own hidden definition of the meaning of life, what the good life is, what right and wrong are. Every single one of those has a hidden worldview that's loaded into the hashtag. And eventually what happens to you is you start living by hashtags instead of Bible verses. Guys, listen to me. Do not seek to stand on the right side of history. Stand on the right side of eternity. History. History will be judged by the spirit of Babylon. Eternity will be judged by the Son of God. So repetition for reinforcement. And number three, packaging. Okay? I might as well just wear this for the next three minutes. Okay, packaging. I'm about to give you, okay, wait, wait, wait. Let me just, let me lead into it. 
Have you ever had this experience where you, uh, you're like hungry and you, you're like, hey, I need a snack. You walk into your pantry and you see something labeled like fruit snacks and you're like, oh, I've been needing a healthy snack. And it says fruit right there on the label. You're like, you take it, you eat it. But then you check the ingredients and you realize, one, there's no fruit in it at all. And number two, all it is is high fructose corn syrup and food coloring. It's like all it is. And what happened was the label was misleading to get you to swallow a bunch of bad things. Okay, that's what our culture does. Now, I'm gonna, give two, I'm gonna give you two examples visually. Every single person at every one of our, you're about to feel some feelings. You're gonna feel some feelings. Here's all I'm asking. I'm asking you to pause and ask the spirit, hey, what is true about what's being said? Okay, um, two examples. Image number one. This uh, took place on January 6th. This is the storming of the United States Capitol. Now, really quick, I am not here critiquing or rebuking people who care about things like election integrity. You should care about things like election integrity. I'm talking about that. That's what I'm talking about, okay? Now, that day, what, what the, the, the label was freedom. And, and we're all like, freedom's a good thing. I want freedom. Yeah, freedom. But then... When you check the label and read the ingredients, what happened is violence, anarchy, and open rebellion got packaged under the label of freedom. And people took something in because it was deceptively labeled. Okay, that's example number one. Example number two. Now again, if some of you like loved my first example, and you're not gonna love my second example. So just track with me, and again, just ask, hey Holy Spirit, what's true about what's being said? Before I show this on the screen, let me just say, I almost didn't show this because I have a deep, obvious, the people of God are commanded by the scriptures to care about racial reconciliation. God has torn down the dividing wall, making two one, every tribe, tongue, nation, language. Like that's the heartbeat of the people of God. And I do have a concern that some people who like me are more like conservatively committed to their, you know, theologically conservative, that sometimes what's happening right now is some of those people are dismissing any conversation about race as well as woke critical theory. Well, let me say this. One, we're gonna get to this later in the series. You should have your discernment lenses on when it comes to critical theory. You should. Now, that being said, let me talk about, talk about Black Lives Matter, the organization, really quick. Um, Tony Evans, an African-American pastor in our city, has wisely pointed out that Black Lives Matter is both an emphasis and an entity. Black Lives Matter as an emphasis is a good emphasis. In the same way that all of us, I hope, would stand in front of an abortion clinic and go, hey, unborn lives matter. It's a good emphasis. But as Tony Evans has pointed out, Christians can accept the emphasis but must reject the entity. Now, here, here's what I mean. Uh, let, let me show you how some, again, the label is justice, but when you check the ingredients, you're like, whoa, that's not what I thought I was swallowing. So this, <clears throat> this is the vision statement of Black the Black Lives Matter organization. This is, these are their words, not mine. So this is not me saying this is what they're about. This is them saying what they're about taken from their website. Now, this has since been taken down because this resulted in them losing a lot of funding. But this is what they say, they said they are about, okay? This is what they say. We make space for transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. We do the work required to dismantle cisgender. Here's what that means. They mean we do the work to dismantle the concepts of God-given biological sex. 
That's what they're going, that's what we're trying to do. And up uh, privilege and uplift black trans folk, specifically black trans women. Now, the reason for that is a concept called intersectionality. Intersectionality is a worldview that views everything in the world through the lens of oppressed and oppressors. And uh, how, if uh, as many different lanes of oppression as intersect on a person, that is how valuable or how much insight they have into the actual reality of the world. So if somebody is a black trans woman, three streams of oppression intersect on that person, so that's the person that we ought to put in power, okay? We build a space that is free from sexism, misogyny, and environments in which men are centered. Let me translate that for you. We are against the concept of loving, humble, Jesus-y men, loving their families, loving their wives, and leading like Jesus, that's what they, we dismantle the patriarchal practice that requires mothers to work double shifts so that they can mother in private even as they participate in public justice work. Translated, what they mean is that, hey, a lot of moms are mothering while dad is absent. And by the way, people of God, we agree that's a problem, right? We agree that is a problem. So like, we're, we're all like, yeah, yes, that is a problem. Now again, but their solution is, hey, let's let the government step in and do what dad's supposed to do, and we're going, no, no, let's fix dad. Okay, can we do that? Let, let's do that. We dis- Now, I'm gonna, watch this sentence. We disrupt the Western prescribed, what does it say? No, no, seriously, I want you to say it out loud. We disrupt the Western prescribed what? Nuclear family structure. In other words, our goal is to dismantle the concept of a daddy and a mommy parenting children. That, their, their words. We foster a queer affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative, that means male and female, we wanna get rid of that concept, thinking, or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual unless he, they're doing the pronoun thing, or they disclose otherwise, okay? Now, what I hope you're seeing, listen, listen, not everything in our culture being done under the label of justice is to be accepted and not every conversation about race in our culture is to be rejected under the label of woke critical theory. We have to be as a people of God, people of discernment who open our Bibles and we evaluate everything by the word of God. You may hear that and you may go, yeah, Josh, but everybody believes in those things. Everybody says we should be for those things. Guys, listen to me. Truth is never determined by what a majority believes or the sun would have revolved around the earth for most of human history. We don't evaluate, yeah, we don't evaluate things based on ever-changing human opinions, but on the unchanging word of God. That's how we evaluate. If you're gonna clap, you gotta commit. Like, you gotta go all in. Okay. So that's how we evaluate everything. So three strategies. So separation, dismantle the family, indoctrination, and last, incentivization. Verse five, I gotta land the plane on this message. Verse five says, um, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food the king ate and the wine he drank. They were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. In other words, here's what the king said to them. He said, hey, listen, you guys can keep believing 98% of your beliefs. We're good. If you'll just compromise on the 2% and become Babylonian on those things that like confront our ideologies and our practices, well then, one, you're gonna get choice food, you're gonna get a really good job, and we'll give you a really big salary. In other words, you'll adjust your life if you wanna keep this job. Some of you, that sounds very familiar too. 
In our culture, it's things like, hey, if you'll just not tweet this, tweet this, don't say that, wear this pin, fly this flag during this month, then you can have raises, promotions, Instagram likes, all your friends will love you, it's gonna be awesome. Incentivization. Now, those are the four things. Separation, dismantle the family, indoctrination, incentivization. Here's the question, I'm gonna lay in the plan on this message. How do the people of God survive? Okay, how do we survive? Well, here's what Daniel did. Daniel came to a moment and he had a moment where he said, I'm drawing a line in the sand. It came, there came a moment where Daniel had to say, that's enough, line in the sand. In other words, Daniel looked out and he said, hey listen, I'm in Babylon, I'm at the king's school, fine. I got the king's job, fine. The king's giving me a salary, fine. You're in Babylon. You gotta do your secular job, go to your secular school, take your secular salary, but there comes a point in your life where you gotta say, I will not defile myself. That's what Daniel said, look at verse eight. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked, listen, people of God, listen. He asked, he was not a jerk. He disagreed without disrespect. He came to his boss in private and he said, hey listen, you know, I'm so sorry to put you in this position. I feel a little uncomfortable. Some of the things you're asking me to do, they require me to compromise on some core beliefs in my relationship to Jesus. I'm translating New Testament. And so, hey, like, I, have, I actually have a, I've already put some time and thought into it. I've got a solution for a way for things to keep going great in the office and me be able to stay true to my convictions. Would that be okay? So he asked, he did it respectfully, the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, what did he mean by not defile himself? Well, Daniel had grown up in Lake Point Church student ministries. And so Daniel knew that the Bible was the true word of God. And Daniel had read in Exodus 34, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. And he had read in Leviticus seven that there were some foods that were unclean. And so Daniel knew there were two problems with that food being offered to him. It was the wrong food offered to the wrong God. And that is where Daniel said, there's my line. Right there, that's my line. Daniel said, hey, I'll go to your school. I'll work your job. I'll take your salary, but I won't compromise my faithfulness to my God. Daniel said this, he said, I'll serve my boss. I'll be your friend. I'll work hard, in fact, to better your kingdom. But I will not take your godless identity. Have you, have you, right here, I want this camera. Have you drawn a line in the sand? Is it clear? If it's not, you just need to know there is coming a point in your life when you are gonna have to say something like this. You're gonna have to say something like, hey, I will work in this company. I will befriend my coworkers. I will grow this business. But I will not compromise my integrity because I work as unto the Lord and not unto men. Okay. There is, there is coming a day. Let me speak to my generation and down. Let me talk to my generation down for a second. If it has not happened to you yet, there is coming a day when you'll have to say something like, hey, listen, man, I'll go to your school. I will read your books. 
and I will love anyone in my path, regardless of their beliefs, ideologies, or lifestyle choices. I will love them like Jesus. But I will not affirm all of your ideologies and identities because the Lord my God is the maker of heaven and earth and they will pass away, but his words will never pass away. That time is coming. And listen, what I love about this, <laughs> what I love about this is the minute Daniel drew the line, that's when God began to lift him up. God was waiting. He was like, as soon as I see the line, that's when I'll go to work. I gotta finish this sermon, verse 18. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they got the best job. They stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and all the enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And God is searching to and fro. He's going, man, where is the person who will draw the line? Listen, the world is not going to ask you for surrender. It's going to ask you for compromise. The world is going to say, you can keep 95% of your Christian convictions. If you'll just budge on that last 5% that's offensive, that goes against our ideology, that violates the social media community standards, if you'll just budge on that 5%, we're going to be good. But listen to me. Listen, listen right now because this is the entire next week's message. In order to make a difference, you have to be different. There is no other way. In order to make a difference, you have to be different. And when you draw a line, God will lift you up. That's what we see here. And so right now, the whole sermon led to this. I'm asking you right now in your seat to just ask the question, Holy Spirit, where is there compromise in my life? Where am I a people, a person of God, and living Babylonian or believing Babylonian or valuing Babylonian things? And right now, just with a gentle, open spirit, just ask God, where is it? We you bow your heads and let me pray for you? And Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you that your word is true even when it is not popular. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And thank you that when we humble ourselves in due time, God will lift us up. Father, would you please just give us the, a loving word from your spirit to show us, hey, where is there compromise? Would you transform us and make us into the image of Jesus who was in this world, but was radically not of this world? Make us those people. Father, we love you. We simply want to be used by you for your glory and the good of people. Give us knowledge and courage. Knowledge to know where the line should be drawn and the courage to draw it. We pray that in the power of a crucified and risen Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.